0: your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country hello and welcome to episode 193 of public interest podcast with your host jordan cooper where we interview politicians activists advocates and others who seek to improve the state of the world we're here today with senator susan lee of district 16 in montgomery county maryland a democrat uh, and who is now the deputy majority whip of the maryland state senate Uh, Senator Lee is also sitting on the Judicial Proceedings Committee and is a former delegate representing the same District 16 from 2002 to 2015. Senator Lee is a former attorney at the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights and at the U.S. Patent and Trademarks Office, also has practiced in private practice. She is a former member of the Montgomery County Democratic Central Committee and is a former delegate to the Democratic Party National Convention in every election since 2000. She is the chair of the Maryland Legislative Asian American and Pacific Islander Caucus and the former president of the Women's Legislative Caucus. Senator Lee is the chair of the Maryland Cybersecurity Council Law and Policy Subcommittee and is a member of the Safe Harbor Work Group on Youth Victims of Human Trafficking. Senator Lee, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jordan.
0: Um, So the first question I'd like to pose to you is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why?
1: ...active in our community, and when I got elected, um, I thought I could bring not only my background as an attorney, but also my activism in the community to uh, help pass laws uh, to uplift and empower all our different communities. And, And you can do that when you're in elected office. You're not just looking in from the outside. You're actually at the table... Bringing in all the stakeholders and everyone from the community to help uh, pass really good laws to help our communities. So um, I have been doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in 13 years in the House of Delegates. My third year in the Senate. Um, I passed numerous pieces of legislation dealing mm-hmm. with things like um, to fight domestic violence, particularly when I was chair of the women, president of women's caucus. To empower women, mm-hmm. uh, immigrants, minorities, uh, people of color, uh, people from all backgrounds, uh, to politically empower them, socially empower them, economically empower them, fight things like domestic violence, um, sexual assault, and human trafficking. I've also been active in fighting things like uh, cyber attacks, uh, having been on the uh, Cybersecurity Council. I've passed laws to fight cyber attacks, but also to help our state be a leader in cybersecurity.
0: Cybersecurity is such an enormous thing right now, especially when Maryland is considering uh, moving, accepting the Federal Bureau of Investigation in Prince George's County, and you see cyber crime on the rise on the federal level and all levels of government are trying to work against cyber crime. What have you been doing with cyber crime in the state of Maryland?
1: Uh, I've, um, I have actually been the author of many bills dealing with fighting cyber attacks mm-hmm. uh, ever since uh, way back in, I think, that 2009 was one of my first bills dealing with uh, uh, making it um, unlawful to attack uh, public utilities like the electric companies and gas companies. Mm-hmm and making it a serious crime. Had there been um, any
0: attacks on utility companies in Maryland, or is it more preemptive?
1: Uh, it, it was proactive. Also, mm-hmm. we're hoping that if there were, we don't know of them because we, we don't know of all of them that may have been reported. Right. But this at least gave our prosecutors and our law enforcement ability to prosecute and also deter these types of crimes also uh, we we passed um, a bill that I worked on that le- that I was one of the lead sponsors mm-hmm. to protect our uh, information that's in our state agencies against uh, attacks, online attacks, but also set up a mechanism and a procedure for not only protecting this data mm-hmm. but also uh, notifying uh, Marylanders that they 've been reached and what steps they need to take to protect their
0: information How vulnerable are Marylanders to cyber attacks they 're very vulnerable
1: i mean it 's probably one of the most uh, serious attacks against our not only our economy but our government mm-hmm. because it could shut down cyber a major cyber attack can shut down not just our government, but our economy, our infrastructures, our first responders. Are these mostly
0: um, foreign or domestic? Uh, this is all. Any, you know, co- co- any origin? Cyber
1: uh, cyber crimes do not have borders. But we need to... T- uh, Congress has been unable to pass a lot of legislation dealing with cybersecurity right now. They passed CISA, but I didn't think it was enough. We can't wait around for them to come, come together. our listeners
0: who don't know what CISA...
1: Uh, the CISA uh, has to deal with um, information sharing Okay. that was passed um, a couple years ago.
0: It must be a great challenge if cybercrime knows no borders, right? And a lot of our laws are based on borders, actual jurisdiction. How do you prosecute? Uh, is it is it where the victim is located or where the origin of the attack takes place? Uh,
1: that that is um, up to the courts of when it. Depends on the defendant too where sure. the, where you decide venue mm-hmm. usually it's where um, my my understanding it's where the defendant lives or resides or or where the attack took place mm-hmm. or um, you know uh, and, th- and then we also have long or uh, statutes too but uh, the the main issue is not where it occurs, but just to be able to give law enforcement tools to prosecute cyber attacks. We also passed a law that I was involved in to um, Uh, have commercial entities also protect our data or sensitive personal data Mm -hmm. against cyber attacks and mechanisms to protect it, but also to um, set up a procedure for notifying um, victims if their data has been breached. This year we passed uh, a law I worked on that was just signed by the governor Mm -hmm. dealing with um, updating our Maryland Personal um, Information Protection Act, which was terribly outdated. It was passed, I believe, I think, years ago. Mm And it it just needed to be in par with our latest strides in technology.
0: Well, clearly, the rise of the information age makes technology ubiquitous in our society. I'm sure every member of the state legislature has a mobile phone and uses technology in their computers and, and elsewhere throughout their lives. How is it that you gained expertise and became seen as a leader uh, in the field of cybercrime legislation in the Maryland General Assembly?
1: Well, um, Early on, I, I knew that this was going to be an ongoing problem. I thought that our legislature should be proactive, uh-huh. but also deal with the current cyber crimes that are occurring. And ever since I've been in the legislature, uh-huh. I've always worked on things dealing with, like, online crimes. I was the chair of the um, Maryland um, Identity Theft Task Force, uh-huh. as well as chair of the Commission on Cybersecurity um, and uh, Excellence in Innovation, which was the predecessor of this Maryland Cybersecurity Council, mm-hmm. which was also created by legislation I authored and passed. So and this just
0: kind of evolved as a sort of specialty for Yeah, you.
1: it's important that uh, these, out of these, the commission and the council has come proposed legislation dealing with cybersecurity. security. And um, like this year we passed two bills mm-hmm. that um, I was instrumental in getting forth. And and we, I passed many, many identity theft bills um, to fight identity theft in the past. And as I know, this is a problem. It affects just about every field and industry, mm-hmm. and it affects our economy. And we need to be proactive. We don't need to be responding to attack that can paralyze our whole um, government and economy. We need to be ready.
0: So pivoting away from cyber attacks um, and, and cybersecurity legislation, you're also the president, former president of the Women's Legislative Caucus and the current chair of the Maryland Legislative Asian American and Pacific Islander Caucus, so two caucuses representing demographic groups that you belong to. What sort of priorities have you championed as members of that, of that group? I know you've mentioned that diversity is quite important to have in a state legislature. You are both a woman and uh, an individual of, of Asian American descent. So so how? what are some of the priorities that you've advanced in the legislature through those caucus?
1: Well, you know, uh, being a, a woman and also being a person of color, I think I bring three perspectives to the legislature. Uh, one, I am very in tune with the issues affecting my district in District 16, having grown up there and, uh, in Montgomery County and, and very in tune and seeing the evolution of what has happened in our county and knowing what issue and challenges there are. But I also am very in tune with the very challenging issues that people of color um, um, and immigrants and women have uh, some uh, particularly um, our communities of color which has has the fastest rates of growth in our state but have had have had not had the level of representation and and same with women too. I think we bring a different perspective uh, more on hands perspective as to how certain things um, you know, issues affect us, and and we and I'm there to, and I have been able to um, author, and propose, and pass legislation to think, fight things like domestic violence, sexual assault, rape, to fight human trafficking, both against um, minors and um, women, and um, and also to help immigrants gain access, equal access to the courts. Uh, to uh, I. Um, and and also to just economically empower women, children, and families. Just this year, I was a co-sponsor of the uh, law that just passed. Uh, I hope that the governor will sign it. It's the earned sick leave Mm -hmm. to allow um, employers with 15 or more employees to uh, provide, allow uh, employees to earn up to five days of sick leave per year. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, sometimes you get sick. And you need to take the time out to take care of yourself or take care of a sick family member. And you, you shouldn't have to choose between taking care of yourself or making other people sick in your workplace or losing your job. Mm-hmm. It also makes for a better, productive workplace, uh, more loyal and uh, employees, and be able to keep the best and brightest. So, so was, I think it works. was
0: the earned sick leave bill a bill that was a top priority for the Women's Legislative Caucus?
1: Um. Uh, I don't know if that was this year, uh-huh. but um, I can tell you about a bill that I authored but also was a lead sponsor last year that passed. Sure. It was equal pay for equal work, uh-huh. and that was my bill. Uh, fortunately, it passed, and the governor signed it. Uh-huh. It just creates greater transparency in the workplace So, because women um, in Maryland still make 86 cents for every dollar a man makes, and for women of color, it's even worse. Uh, If you do uh, the equal work, you should get the equal pay, Mm -hmm. and this just creates greater transparency where um, employers can't use outdated and discriminatory um, reasons for uh, pay, Mm -hmm. but they still can do that if it's uh, based on merit or experience. Or job-related factors, but not based on sex or gender or other discriminatory or past discriminatory policies. It's an
0: interesting topic. Do you have any well, sense? you can
1: also bring an action um, uh, within three years of the last discriminatory paycheck, which it, our bill, that my bill that passed, is stronger than the one in the federal government.
0: Now, so often, a, a woman may be listening to this episode, and she may be thinking, well, you know, I make X number of dollars a year. That's my salary. I don't know what any of my colleagues make, male or female. How do I know if I'm being discriminated? Right.
1: And this, this law that passed, uh-huh. Equal Pay for Equal Work, uh, what it does is that you cannot fire an employee if she or he asks about wages. And that's what's so good about it is because uh, you will. Lily Ledbetter didn't know that her male counterparts, who were doing the same work for her, um, got more than she did mm-hmm. until it was too late to bring a suit. Mm-hmm. So um, this is adding great transparency so that you can't get fired or get retaliated if you ask about your wages.
0: Now, opponents of this bill, did they argue that, that dim- discrimination didn't exist or that the discrimination was justified or neither?
1: i uh i I think that they, they just uh, thought it was a burden on businesses mm-hmm. but uh, I think transparency is always good because it creates greater productivity and everything is based on merit.
0: Now how have the business communities been responding to uh, the equal pay for equal work and earn sickly well
1: uh, we all pretty much moved forward on it last year mm-hmm. and we tried to get as much consensus as we could mm-hmm. bring all the stakeholders together mm-hmm. to discuss it because that's how I like to operate is like I like to bring all the stakeholders together to get some sort of common consensus so you
0: brought proponents now i components.
1: don't yeah but i don't know if everybody was okay with the bill mm-hmm. but most were uh, and that's why it got passed.
0: So and, when you have a bill like the equal pay for equal work, since we're just talking about it, you know, and you're thinking, well, you know, in order to make sure government works, we have to collect a whole bunch of revenues, and then we spend those revenues on different government services. And a lot of revenues come from businesses, but on the other hand, they go to pay for services that support the people of the state of Maryland. As a legislator, how do you balance the need to, to to support businesses that provide so much revenue to the state and support individuals who are the lifeblood of those very businesses and who, off, who and, and, and who are represented in the state legislature? How do you balance the different interests of these different interest groups when you're trying to decide what's in the public interest of your district?
1: Well, if you if you create um, a state where you promote legislation that improves the quality of life for mm-hmm. everyone mm-hmm. and promotes fairness and equality particularly in in terms of employment too I, I think that these people are going to have jobs and they're going um, it's going to create greater productivity and they're going the jobs are going to create revenue and they're going to contribute back to the state of Maryland in terms of their revenue spending at retail establishments and restaurants and businesses and so I've sponsored uh, bills to help promote our knowledge base, science and technology, Uh because I think that is an area that we need to concentrate more on, particularly innovators who have innovations that they want to commercialize, where they want to take their research to product so that they can stay in business, um, take their life-saving innovations and sometimes medical treatments Uh to market so they can... um, be able to create jobs and create revenues and, and give back to the state. And also, it's you know, it, you know, when you got a company that succeeds, you're talking about a lot of jobs. But you're also talking about life saving treatments or a life saving or quality of life innovation. That and that's everybody. important
0: for District 16. Your district contains the National Institutes of Health.
1: Yes, yes, and I, 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 we, uh, we have been working to make sure that. Uh, we've been working with our federal partners mm-hmm. to urge, uh, you know, the federal government not to cut funding for NIH because they're the leader in a lot of uh, medical innovations. Sure. And they, they're a job creator, too. And they're, every day, anything that comes out of the NIH is saving lives.
0: So in the last few decades, you've seen the I-270 tech Corridor. or for our listeners who don't know, I-270 is the interstate which goes north through Montgomery County up towards Frederick County, that along this highway you have the biotech sector. You have multiple pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies there. I know in the last few decades you've seen that rise in Montgomery County. Have you had any involvement, you said, in science technology in helping promote biotech? You said bringing some of the innovation NIH to market. Yeah,
1: um, I, uh, was, I'm the former chair of what they call the... Um, Maryland nano biotechnology task force mm-hmm. and the things that we were working on during the uh, the two years or the few years that I think was one year I, I can't remember exactly mm-hmm. that we were in existence because it was many years ago we came up with some recommendations uh, dealing with um, the the problem with you know commercialization uh-huh. and tech transfers and the state has been and, able to and, help with that well yeah the state has several programs but i don't think they're adequately funded uh-huh. and i think that still we are lagging behind in text transfer commercialization efforts and i think the state needs to increase and help innovators commercialize and do their tech transfers and I think that's what we're lacking in. Our research is pretty good. We're, we're, we do good in, in research and development, but I think we need to help innovators with commercialization efforts. And is that
0: through tax credits or through supporting it's through incubators and it,
1: It's through a lot of things. Uh, tax credits are one. We mm-hmm. we had a great. We have a wildly successful biotech tax credit program, mm-hmm. and um, we have uh, TEDCO that works on uh, issues like that. We have a number of other. Um, different programs that help innovators in in both uh both cyber but also in uh biotech Uh and so but we but we need to concentrate more in there because knowledge base and science and technology are the jobs of the future Uh it's jobs of today too it'll help sustain us and help us compete not just within uh, the country with other states but also globally
0: So transferring back into you and focusing, moving away from the legislation back to Senator Susan Lee, I'm interested in figuring out how it is you're able to assess what the needs are of your district and how you're able to identify different priorities in terms of legislation. Do you have any ideas about how you, could you elaborate on how you come up with your priorities?
1: Well, for our entire county, probably, education is probably one of the most important issues. Because, you know, education is a great equalizer. And I think our schools are some of the top schools in the country because we as a General Assembly, we as Maryland, have decided that this is a high priority. And we have invested through our funding every year. In our county, we have the GCEI, which mm-hmm. is now fully funded because of legislation that we introduced
0: and passed. And for our listeners, GCEI is Geographic Cost of Education Index. That's correct,
1: because some, some jurisdictions, it costs more to educate the kids than others. Sure. And in our county, that's the case. So um, we uh, decided to pass legislation uh, years ago to mandate um, GE, the Geographic Cost of Education yeah. Index funding.
0: Now, you've been in public service for quite some time. I mean, you've been going to every Democratic Party national convention since the year 2000. You've been a delegate. You've been a senator. You were with the Democratic Party in Montgomery County before that time. And of course, this whole time, you're an attorney. You're continuing your law practice. And as you're continuing your law practice, you have to balance it because you're doing the law practice and you're doing politics. How have you achieved that balance? and, And why have you Continue to remain involved in politics. So many individuals have left politics because it is so difficult to maintain two simultaneous careers. How have you done it and why?
1: Well, I think it's important that um, we, we do all that we can to create positive change in our state and, and do all that we can to uplift the quality of life of all people in all our different communities. And that has been always my priority uh that's how i was raised uh my uh parents always instilled in me the the importance of public service and um i i have uh had to cut down on the law practice because uh, my first priority is serving the people of maryland and i've done so in the house of delegates and the senate and um i think that this it's a real privilege and honor to be here and during the time that i am here i am devoting My utmost to representing and serving the people not only in my district but also in the state.
0: What is what is public service? What does it mean to serve the people of the state of Maryland?
1: It means to work with uh, everyone in our community um, on their uh, on issues that affect them like education, health care, public safety, all sorts of things and and it's uh, it's to make government work for them.
0: So when you've as I'd like you to reflect on uh, your legislative career, and uh, would would you mind sharing some of your greatest legislative accomplishments, what you're most proud of having accomplished as a legislator in the Maryland General Assembly?
1: Well, I think it's probably my work in the area of... Um, you know, fighting for women, children, and families, mm-hmm. particularly uh, bills to uh, economically empower women, children, and families, but also fight things like domestic violence. I've passed a number of many bills, authored many bills, uh, to fight domestic violence. Uh, this year I had some great success in that. I, I passed a bill um, to take guns out of the hands of um, domestic abusers who... Have uh, a uh, um, who have a PBJ second degree assault in a domestic related crime.
0: And PBJ is uh,
1: probation before judgment. Uh-huh. And uh, you know that's very important because you you know the victim can't run too far from a gun. Uh-huh. And to to have them persons that have a PBJ second degree assault domestic related crime, they should be surrendering their firearms. Right. Okay. Um, and um, that that bill passed this year, uh-huh. as as well as a bill to um, compel uh, to have to be have be able to have a defendant um, an HIV defendant uh-huh. take a H- HIV test within seventy two hours of exposure, so that the victim will have the option of whether or not they want to be treated with uh, the latest PEP, which is a treatment that could um, help uh, wipe out the infection in more than 80% of the cases mm-hmm. or decide they don't need to take the PEP if they find out that he is not he or she is not infected with HIV um, in case they they're going through medical treatment of their own sure. the, the survivor I mean like they may be going through chemotherapy and, and the PEP may interfere so with it the
0: The, rape, uh, the defendant
1: is you can have you can have the defendant and uh-huh. um, take an hiv test yes, right and to it, notify the victim. yeah the court it's a court procedure and and also uh that'll give the victim it, it gets through, it's an emergency order sure. it Gets through all the due process issues so the victim has that option to decide whether or not they want to be medically treated with the pep mm-hmm. because maybe they don't have to be if the if the defendant, if no if the defendant didn't have the hiv right. Because they may be pregnant, they may uh, have to go through chemotherapy. Right. Or they may be going through some other medical treatment where they don't need to. But if they, if there is HIV in the event, this You'll could, this could save it. their lives. Right. Okay. So this law passed. It was um, uh, um, the Maryland... Um, Coalition Against Sexual Assault was one of the lead, spot, lead advocates, mm-hmm. as well as many other organizations that came. They came down to Annapolis. They worked with me, all the stakeholders, law enforcement. We got this this uh, bill passed. Uh, the governor just signed it this week.
0: So as we approach the end of the podcast... But, but I
1: won't tell you about the other things. Tim. Sure. I, I've not just been proud of that, but uh, my work in... Um, I've passed many uh, laws dealing with fighting human trafficking, but also uplifting its victims. Mm-hmm. But also, I've been also proud of probably of passing the Equal Pay for Equal Work Right. Though. But also my work in cybersecurity as well as fighting identity theft and online crimes and promoting things like telemedicine and science and technology.
0: Sounds like you've been a, an, an advocate for the consumer uh, and, and for citizens uh, throughout most of your career. As we approach, approach the end of this podcast, a final question I'd like to ask you to speak to the citizens of District 16, the voters, and and all the residents of District 16, and speak to them about why you're motivated to serve them. Why has it been so important for you to engage in public service to serve them?
1: Well, I think this is, you know, I I I'm using my back, my legal background, but also my background in community activism to be able to represent and serve them in the legislature bringing all that experience together uh, to to be able to represent them to uh, pass good laws meaningful laws that will substantially help improve their lives but uh, uplift them too and empower them in all different communities we have so many challenges these days uh, not just in our county but our district too in our state and we live in a different world than we did maybe 30 or 40 years ago. And I, I think uh, I, my, my combined experience, the legal background, but also my community uh, service background, you know, I've been there, done that. I, I'm in tune with the issues of my district as well as um, you know, being female and, and coming from a community of color. I think that I can uh, pass good laws to help them.
0: So that has been Senator Susan Lee of District 16, a Deputy Majority Whip of the Maryland State Senate and member of the Judicial Proceedings Committee, a former delegate from District 16 and an attorney for, who has worked with the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Senator Lee is a former member of the Democratic Party apparatus in Montgomery County has gone to numerous Democratic Party national conventions and worked many different issue area and demographic-type uh, caucuses in the state legislature. She speaks about public service as a means of empowering the citizens whom she represents. She wishes to substantively help uh, these individuals in their, improve their lives, and, and she's provided many different examples where, in some cases, she actually has passed legislation that might very well save someone's life. She has prioritized women, children, families, citing domestic violence, equal pay for equal work, uh, sex and drug trafficking, sex trafficking, human trafficking. She refers to the opportunity to serve these individuals as a privilege and an honor. And when reflecting on public service, Senator Susan Lee says that her first priority is serving the people of Maryland. Though she has a legal career, though she has other priorities in her personal life, she has a top priority is to serve the public. And that is what has sustained and driven her throughout years of public service. So, Senator Lee, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jordan.
0: This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on PublicInterestPodcast.com and on iTunes. Leave a review of this podcast on iTunes and listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Should you wish to comment on this episode, you're welcome to leave a voicemail at 240-630-0380. And the first three minutes of that voicemail may be played in future episodes of Public Interest Podcast. Should you wish to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in an amount that you feel comfortable with at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.